everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is love in the time of coronavirus. Um, These are podcasts and radio shows and video casts and book reviews that I hope will lift you out of your funk and that you are introduced to authors you've not read before and will enjoy their books. My guest tonight is Dana King. I have to tell you a funny story, and he and I were laughing about it in the green room. At BoucherCon St. Pete, which was mm, year before last, um, I had a live remote broadcast going on from the floor of the conference, and it's open to any author or any reader who wants to come in. We, I had five of the hosts from the network were with me. We were interviewing. We were having a great time, and I had just walked with the microphone over to Dana to talk to him. We we're coming close to the end of the show, and in the door walks Michael Conley. And I abruptly forgot that I have manners and said, oh, my God, sometimes dreams come true. And I said, excuse me, Dana, I think maybe I didn't, and walked away to interview Michael Conley. I hope Dana still is my friend. He didn't tell me to go, you know, straight to hell, which he had every right to do. And even his wife likes me still. So um, we happen to have dinner that first night. So maybe that endeared me to him. I'm not sure. But tonight I bring you Dana King. He has earned Seamus Award nominations for two of his Nick Forte books, um, A Small Sacrifice and The Man in the Window. He also writes the Penn's River novels, of which the fifth novel in the series, Pushing Water, was just released. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, Colin Campbell, the author of the Jim Grant series, said of Pushing Water, an extraordinary voice, a mix of Pelicanos, and that's George for all of you who don't know, Leonard and Wamba, that would be Elmore and Joe. <laughs> Dana's work has appeared in the anthologies, The Black Car Business, Unloaded 2, The Seamus Sampler 2, Blood, Guts, and Whiskey, and he's a regular participant at the Noir and the Bar readings in Washington, D.C. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend Dana King to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Pam, thank you. And, you know, as the Godfather said, revenge is a dish best tasted cold. I've waited all this time now to tell you I'm busy. You can't do this interview. (laughs) And I so deserve that. (laughs) Gosh, Dana. And, you know, you were really such a good sport about that. But for someone who makes a living talking all the time, and, and people will attest to the fact that it's very hard to shut me up. I think at that moment I was dumbstruck, and um, it isn't that I hadn't met him before. It's just that I never expected him to walk into the room where we were interviewing everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, that was that was a uh, – and I had to make you feel good. I mean, that's the only thing that was going on in that room was we were having kind of a bowl session. You were going around interviewing folks, so the only reason Connolly could have been there was to come in and see you and, and, and be involved in the show. So, yeah, when uh, when you had an opportunity to come in, I understand where my place in, in the pecking order is. I knew you'd make it up to me. I wasn't, I wasn't upset about that at all. As I told you, we were in the green room. I would have dumped me too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and here's the interesting thing. I had um, Ace Atkins was there. Wallace Strubby was there. Um, you know, J.J. Hensley was there, Bruce Coffin was there, uh, Laura Lippman was there, so many other authors. And yes, I am in awe of every single one of them. And I love 
all of them. I love all their books. But I have been a Conley fan for so long, as I have been a Dana King fan. As you know, you and I have crossed paths with many a writer in the noir genres and in crime fiction. So I'm thrilled that you're here. And and finally, I'm I, I take as much time as you want to tell me anything you want. But especially, let's talk about pushing water. By the way, what a great cover! Eric Beatner has done all of my covers since I went to Down and Out, and it is and and a lot of readers probably aren't aware of this, but the author generally has very little input into a cover. They may send you two or three covers to say which one do you like best, and you'll tell them which one do you like best, and they'll use the one they were going to use anyhow. But with Down and Out, they hooked me up with Eric, who's been a friend of mine for a long time. I've known Eric for probably 10 years now and right. um, final author himself. You know, I mean, the, the most, as I say, the hardest working man in show business between his writing and his, his and day his jobs. And his, his, right. Yeah. His, all his stuff. And uh, we went back and forth on the first cover for worst enemies, probably four or five times getting just the look I wanted. And I sent him some pictures to give him an idea and worked out a few things there. And since then, he just sends me two or three covers, and it's a question of which one do I like best because any of them would work. And I thought I like to, I thought pushing water because it has that kind of water motif, and everything just looks wet. The it's colors, just, it's yes. a wonderful job. Yeah, it is. Eric's one of the most talented guys in the business. That's for sure. Um, that same conference <laughs> when I dismissed you out of hand, so nastily, um, Eric and and. Um, Steve and Eric Pruitt and I were on a panel together moderated by Kate Malman, um, Dan Malman's wife, on podcasting. It was very interesting. So um, he's been on my show numerous times. I have his books as I have Steve Loudon's. So, um, yeah, he's a great guy. He's very, very talented. Very talented. And and a a nice guy. Just the easiest person to talk to. I have a picture with him, Steve, and Eric Pruitt, and me, who are all tower over me because I'm five <laughs> foot three. And when I look at that picture, I think, oh my God, it's like they mashed my head into the ground or something. All really good looking guys, you know, and, and here's this little squirt standing in front of him, this old broad, you know, who, <laughs> who's just like in awe because they all write books, same way as you. So I want to kick off this interview today by, first of all, welcoming you again, and and thank you for being my guest. Um, I want to know about the Penns River books, and how where do they come from? I had written, as you mentioned, I have the, the, two, the two Seamus nominations. I'd written four right. Private Eye books, and I was I was running out of ideas for Private Eye stories. It, it, it's hard it's harder than people think to involve a private eye in some cases because private eyes don't usually do that. And I had an idea for a story and I needed a, a setting for it. And I don't remember exactly what got me thinking about it, but you know, there's that old axiom to write what you know. Yeah. And I don't, didn't know a whole lot about crime. I grew up in a small town, but you know, I got to thinking about it and I knew these small towns in Western Pennsylvania and the kind of people that grew up there. Uh, I was born in uh, in a hospital in New Kensington, Pennsylvania. The hospital is no longer mm-hmm. there. My parents took me home to an apartment in Arnold, Pennsylvania, which is the next town right next door, boat right in the Allegheny River. And wow. 
that that building has since burned to the ground. And then they moved us out to a house in Lower Borough, the third town of the three that are right there on the river. And um, and we, my parents lived there, and my father died a couple of years ago. They lived there for 57 years. So wow. I, I grew up there, and I used to go back and see my parents all the time, and I knew the people there. And about the time I was old enough to start paying attention to things like this was when the economy started going to hell. There was wow. a time – when New Kensington, Pennsylvania produced 90% of the aluminum made in the world. And now it makes none. Right. Well, and doesn't were, China make all the aluminum now? Yeah. 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 And there were yeah. little mills all up and down the river there. There were, you know, and, and that way it used to be kind of a boom town. And now they, they barely get by. I mean, my father made a comment once I used it in one of the books that what you really have now where everybody's, Everybody frequencing each other's business, um, helping each other go under slower. And it's mostly wow. local businesses and trying to keep things going. And I thought, well, you know, I had some things I wanted to say because I, I at the time had thought, you know, there's lots of dark uh, crime stories told in cities. And thanks right. to Daniel Woodrell, you're getting a lot more of rural noir type stuff. Yes, but, yes. But these little towns kind of exist in between the two. It's not quite up in the hills. But it's not in a big city either, and and it's right. a kind of a transitional area. So that was where I picked up. So I I I didn't want to use any of the real towns. So I combined the three towns into one city, called it Penn's River, because then that allowed me to have enough cops and enough things. There was now enough critical mass of a town of about thirty thousand people where things mm-hmm. could happen, and that was where You're I picked right. up on it. And and uh, I still subscribe to the local newspaper up there online, and I get a lot of story ideas from things that actually happen up there. Wow. Now, um, I know that Tom Pitts likes your writing an awful lot because you write small town, you write individual characters. It's not necessarily repetitive characters over and over again, but he likes your voice very much. Obviously, he and I talk about that. He has a show in the network called Skid Row Chatter, but... um, but you do have a remarkable sensibility for writing these small town characters, which no matter what anyone thinks, even if they have, you know, these people have cell phones and cable television and, you know, whatever it is they have, their sensibility of being in a small town is very different from being, say, in Philadelphia, correct? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and what's what's tough is when you're in a small town like these are, and these towns are about about 20 miles up the Allegheny River from Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh mm-hmm. has made a wonderful recovery over the years, and yes. a lot of the suburbs south and north of the city have done very well as Pittsburgh converted from an industrial town to a financial, educational, medical type thing. Right. But right. None of that good news ever seems to go up the rivers. And Isn't the that the way town, of things? Yeah, yeah, that's the way of saying. So you sit there and you watch Pittsburgh get better and things get better and these new towns come up and they get better and and your town just doesn't get any better Fla- and it's not it flounders. It's not so, yeah. Yeah. And it's not so much a sense of bitterness, it's a sense of well, we just have to we're just going to have to help look out for each other now. So it's no resignation more more than bitterness, right? Yeah, it's, this I, is the way things word. are. Yeah, it, this is the way things are, so let's just cover each other's back. The downside to that is everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows what the secrets are, where the skeletons are, and um, so that presents its own kind of problem, whereas in a big city, 
You don't necessarily right. have that. You have maybe a social media explosion of, of crap, but you don't have intimate knowledge of what your neighbors are doing a couple blocks down or you know, what's happening at the store on the corner or the gas station or things like that. Um, do you have a lot of empathy with these characters? Do you understand the small town mentality? Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons I, I chose my, my main character is named Ben Doherty. Everybody calls him Doc. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Ben was my father's name. And Doherty ah. is my mother's maiden name. So, you know, ah. Doc is very, very much like me. I, I did that on purpose. And the thing with Doc in the books is he grew up there and there was nothing for him. There were no jobs for him. He was having a hard time. So he joined the army. And he kind of fell into being an MP and found out not only did he like being a cop, he was good at it. But after about nine years and a couple of tours of Iraq and some work, he wanted to come home and work for the chief of police who had been a family friend since before he was born. So by telling most of the story through Doc's eyes, I mean, I, I use a lot of points of view, but most of the story is through Doc's eyes. What we uh-huh. see is some who is from Penns River, who loves Penns River, understands it but has also been away and sees the world. So now he comes back and he sees the weaknesses. He sees the problems as somebody from outside can, but he still right. loves it. But he always grew up there. So it kind of pulls him both ways, but it, it allows him to, to provide kind of a, a loving, but yet unvarnished view of how the town goes. It's an interesting concept. Um, I grew up in Miami. I've never lived in a small town until I moved here to Southwest Florida. And even then, it's a big, small town. Geographically, it's larger than the county that holds Miami. But we have a tenth of the population still Mm -hmm. at 250,000 with all of our snowbirds here, you know, our seasonal residents. Um, Even that dies down to 175. To me, it feels small town. It isn't really. So I'm not. I don't really know what the sensibilities of a small town are. I've never been around one. I do, however, understand that anything that happens, whether it's really great or really lousy, affects everyone in that town. Correct? When, uh, well, for instance, when uh, there was, uh, my parents lived in a, in an area of, of Lower Borough that was called Braeburn Heights, and still is called Braeburn Heights, and there was a mill there, and when that mill went broke. And they shut it down. I think it put, I forget the number now, but it was basically like 30% of the people in town were unemployed that day. Wow. It was, it, you know, it was a true wow. mill town. And, and all, I mean, that, that's very hard to recover from. You know, Dana, um, you have a lot of moving wheels in this story. There are, and somehow all the cogs fit in place eventually. So you've got, you know, you've got a grocery store shooting, you know, somebody that claims to be what you call a good guy with a gun. And then a, a Canadian fugitive lands in, in, in town um, until his money shows up. And then his partner, a local who is dumb enough to serve a purpose, sees an opportunity to begin a robbery spree. Then there's a robbery in a strip club and an old woman who wanders off, a domestic situation that turns violent, and a widower who has a, a past victim, as, as a past victim who needs attention. So you have all of these little things going on. I think 
that seems to me small town life. You don't well, have the attention on those things that you would in a big city, would you? No, that's ex- and that's exactly what I'm. What, well, half that that's half of of what I'm going for there. Um, the thing I'm probably happiest about with these books is that even though I've never been a cop, cops love the books, and they they tell oh, me good. I get cops. I, I get the procedure. I understand how cops think. And one of the things I particularly wanted to do in pushing water, what, unlike what you see in TV and the movies. And it's particularly true of small towns. Just because we have this this shooting where five people are killed, it doesn't mean that the cops have nothing else to do but work on this shooting. Right. Everything else that would normally go on is still going on, but they only have the three detectives. They well, have to it, find a way to with, get all this work with done. With less resources, right? With less resources, right. with not having a history of of five murders. You know, it, it very rarely happens in the small towns that you have repetitive homicides like that. I mean, you know, you hear about these things where there are multiple victims, but it's not an everyday occurrence like it would be in Detroit or Chicago or Miami or L.A. or any place else, right? Right. And the other thing that, that's nice, and I'm not saying this kind of thing doesn't happen in big cities, but not to this degree. There's a there's a scene in there where an old woman, she's Alzheimer's, dementia person staying at home because their family can't afford to have her put someplace where people can watch her. The kids take turns taking care of grandma. Um, she wanders off. And what happens is every cop in town comes in. They doesn't matter if they're on shift or not. Uh, you know, one of the cops who's been on shift during the day when he, she has Sandy, he has to turn the car in and he goes out and, and walks a foot patrol trying to find this old woman because now, right. you know, this is, this, this is what small towns do. Everybody's on deck right now. Everybody's left. Oh my God. You know, you just hit a memory for me. I used to be the victim advocate, the victim citizen advocate for a very small town in Miami called the city of South Miami. There are 11,500 residents. And do you know, we had um, a a line, a hotline that all our our senior residents who lived alone called in every morning. And if they didn't, we would send a police officer to their house to check on them. That small town, that was small yeah. town. Yep. I, I remember walking, cause I was attached to the detective bureau and I remember walking streets with the detectives talking to residents and walking down the one main drag that held the, all the shops and restaurants and knowing all of the owners. Yeah. How funny that you just reminded me of that when you talked about the Alzheimer's patient. In fact, since you mentioned that, a couple of the things you mentioned there show up in – I just turned the next book into Down and Out yesterday. It'll come out next uh-huh. year. Um, and there's a, there's, there's a scene in there where Doc's brother, Drew, is a uh, letter carrier. And mm-hmm. he gets on the phone and calls Doc one day because there's this old guy that Drew delivers mail for. And he sees him every day, and the guy hasn't picked up his mail for a couple of days. And Drew's worried about him. And him and Doc wind up having to break into the house to try to find the old guy. Um, but that, that, those are the kinds of things uh, that happen in, in, in small towns. Because you do maybe, – maybe you don't know this guy, but you know somebody who does. Right, so exactly. A, of, a, of, a, of a cousin of a, of a friend of yours. And so you do kind of keep an eye open for them. 
So Dana, in your in your other life, you're a tech guy. You work from home. When we were talking in the green room, you were saying that, you know, the pandemic hasn't affected you as much as it affects other people because you're used to being at home and working. Um what is your take on what's happening with publishing these days? And what do you think will be the takeaway when we come out the other side of this, whenever that will be? I will be perfectly honest with you. I do not understand the publishing industry a bit. Right. I, I don't understand how the, I mean, I know the history of how the business model evolved, but right. I, I over the years have become so frustrated with it. I honest to God don't have an answer for that. I just write my books. And so long as Don and Out is willing to publish them, they're going to get them. Right. And if they tell I, me they don't want any more, I'll make another decision. <laughs> you know, I really think publishers like like Eric's Down and Out and, and those who are with small presses and who independently publish, especially through ebooks, I think are really probably going to be in a better place. Um, as I, as you know, when I talked to you earlier, I said, you know, I, I got flooded with emails one day, like 1100 emails, uh, more than I normally get. And a lot of them from the traditional publishing houses, the big five who were begging for interviews for all their people who had spring and summer releases coming out. Now, a lot of these books have been pushed back, but, um, and, you know, we do our best to accommodate everyone we can, but I think this is going to change the way publishing is done. I used to get anywhere from 20 to 50 paper books, hardcovers a week, and I don't get any now unless it comes directly from the author. And that's okay. I don't want that many books coming into my house. I don't want to be, you know, going outside, And even though I know my UPS guy and my mail guy. I've known them for years, but um, I think it's going to make a profound change on the way authors sell books and that may not be good or it may be great just depends it's uh, it, it what's going to be different i i, I definitely agree it with will that. be yeah in, in my case when you look at how, like you mentioned the, the big publishing companies don't put out the kind of marketing materials they used to to help promote authors on right. unless you're Unless you're a big deal, unless you're Lee Child or you're Michael Connelly. Right. And the part that always struck me as ironic is all you need to really do to promote Lee Child's next book is tell people it's coming out. You don't need to make a million dollars. They're going to line up to buy it anyhow. But I think what happens is for somebody like me, I, I don't part- – I mean, you know, it, 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 it may sound like sour grace, but I'm not particularly worried about you know, winding up with a bigger publisher because I know I'm going to be a second thought to them. They're not going to market the book, and if it doesn't sell, it's going to be my fault. Whereas with Down and Out, I'm on more of an equal footing there. I have a little more relationship with, with, with them. They let me write what I want. I don't have to go through right. and get approval from the publisher to see what the next book's going to be. I write whatever wherever right. I want to write, and right. I'm perfectly happy doing that. You know, it's funny when you talk about like, like Lee Child, who, as you know, has written his last book, his brother's going to take over. They'll co-write mm-hmm. the next Reacher book, and then he's out of it. Um, and people like James Patterson and, and the names that are so well known to everybody, even if they don't read. Um, I I find that when I am talking just out in in, in 
public. And I ask people if they like to read, and I say, who do you like? And they'll say, oh, I like James Patterson, and I like Lee Child. And I, and I say, who else? Who, who, who have you read that's new? And they say, no, no, I just I stick to the ones I know. You know, and and to me, that that's shattering to me because I read well. I don't read historical stuff, and I don't read horror because it scares the crap out of me. But um, but I do read across every other genre. I read you know bios. I read memoirs. I read obviously I read thrillers, mysteries, suspense. Whether it's noir, whether it's contemporary, you know, I read all of that stuff. I read romance, women's fiction. I love YA. I love fantasy, science fiction, fantasy. I don't like space opera, but I love all of that stuff. So, my, and I love cookbooks, especially. But um, I have found some of the best writers ever in smaller press. The first year that we started doing our Book of the Year awards was a guy who was self published and wrote the most remarkable story about two guys from Vietnam where Vietnam actually became a second, a third character in the book. I, I, and here it is years later. I can't get that book off my mind. You know, I go back and read it once a year. So keep doing what you're doing because there's a niche for you no matter what. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue to relay to people how important books like yours are. Well, uh, thank you, you, you're talking yeah. about, you know, reading i don't read a lot of bestsellers because to me too many bestsellers are written in what i call bestseller style right which the is template the, the right type yeah the type <laughs> of writing is not to be offensive to anybody and the story has to go along in a certain way and i don't mean to condemn people that is first of all there's a skill to be able to do that which i obviously don't have but i, I think that the publisher try to make everything too vanilla uh, i like to read a lot of small press type stuff because when I read, I read for the writing, even more than for the story. So, sure. um, so this, and, and, and the big publishers now, they don't really look for a lot of that kind of stuff. If they don't think this book's going to move a million units, they probably aren't interested. They're all, all about the blockbuster now. So the, right. the, I would say 80% of the books I read are written by either small presses or the self-published because those, those people are actually writing books. It's interesting because you're my third interview tonight. My first interview um, is a woman who writes um, westerns with female protagonists, and um, and she's with a small press. Just brilliant. One of the most fun interviews I've done in ages. Um, the past hour was a woman who also writes with a small press, but literary, and um, very fascinating. I love reading her books. It always evokes an emotion from me. And you, who also are with a small press, Down and Out is not the biggest. I know Eric Campbell and his wife, I know his whole family, as a matter of fact, and have been to his house. But um, he puts out a good product, that's for sure. And he gives authors who will probably think they can never get with a big publisher. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but but he gives everyone his attention and time. And especially if he knows you're out there marketing your books too. So yeah. you got to write I, what's true to you. Yeah. And I, and I can't say enough for what uh, Eric Campbell, Lance Wright, all the people I've yep. worked with it down in Chris Radigan's yep. my editor, editor there. Um, Eric, he didn't do it this year um, or last year about your comment. The last couple of years he's had little, 
you know, soirees where we kind of take over a bar. And that's, that's right. the down and out for a night. And, right. uh, you know, I always thought it was kind of corny when you hear people talk about, well, we're a publisher. It feels like kind of a family. Until I started hanging out with the down and out people. And there is kind of a bond there. And, oh, you're with oh. down and out. That's cool. And what's really nice is even people who aren't with down and out, when they hear I'm published by down and out, they'll kind of give me a look. Oh, okay. I mean, the reputation that it, it's been able to build up within its exactly. niche is very good. And I'm very happy to be here. Right. Yeah, Eric's good people for sure. Um, we went. Uh, I went with uh, Terry Lynn Coop up there to. You know, he's like two hours away from me. We went up right. there to do a noir at the bar when Eric Pruitt was in town, and I can't remember who else. I don't even remember who was there uh, because you know I seem like to. I, it was my first noir at the bar, by the way, and I and I was broadcasting live. And it was in the noisiest place in the world. Who knows if it ever, you know, if you ever could hear it. But, but I had so much fun. And um, Terry Lynn Coop and I stayed at Eric's house. Um, you know, he, we had our own rooms and everything. They were so generous and so kind. So um, I, I really appreciate the work that he does on behalf of, of, you know, writers who are not quite as well known, but who should be. Which, in my opinion, should be you, you know, you well, and well, Tom Pitts and Joe Clifford and, oh, you know, J.J. Oh, Hensley. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Tom writes a, a lot. Tom I, yeah, I am. T- he's he's going to be on next week. Um, uh, Tom, you know, has has changed my POV about a lot of things. And one of them is writing a series character, not a location, a character. And so um, we've had some really in-depth conversations about that. I love that man. He's like a brother to me. I would do anything for him. But then again, I like all the all the writers for Down and Out. I I, I just happen to be friends with them, and I I feel very lucky that you guys include me in the tribe. You know, I, I, in the family, I I feel blessed for that. Well, it's Pam. It's it's it's, it's like I mentioned in the green room. I think it was in the green room. Um, you know, the, 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 th- the things you do here, the support you give all of us, I, I think readers don't often appreciate how much it means to a writer, especially a writer from a small press, to get an email or to get some recognition or to, or to get a little bit of, you know, I, I read your book and I enjoyed it, um, you know, because we're not making a lot of money, but it really no. makes, it, makes it feel good. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't sell a lot of books, but I do know that I have a, a little group here of oh, probably – you know, people I could probably name, but I know they buy every book. Right. And boy, that makes me feel good. And because and if one of the things you do, if you know there are certain people who are looking forward to your next book, at least I do this, when I'm sitting right. there trying to decide if something is as good as it needs to be, I sit there and think, well, is this going to disappoint Catherine Burroughs Rich? Right. Well, you know, I bought your I know you would send me your book in a heartbeat and I know Lance would send me the book, but I bought the book because, you know, I want to support my, my small press author friends and indie, indie published friends. And so it's not a hardship for me to buy the book. I put it right to my Kindle. Um, I, I don't know if I told you I have five Kindles. They're eat they're, The Kindles are for different genres. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. I have 3,000 signed editions in my house. I no longer have any room. My second bedroom is now a library. So, 
there's an upside and a downside. The downside is I'm out of shelf space. The upside is when someone wants to visit, and I said, let me tell you about the Hyatt right down the street from me. So <laughs> they want to go They want to go to Sanibel Island. I say, there are hotels there. But, um, but I do have your book on Kindle, and I'm happy to support my friends uh, in, who are – independently published and and you know self-published and small press published it's to me you've given me the joy of reading a really good book and then allowing me to interview you so it's worth it you know and besides that besides besides that i like your wife you know she and i get along great (laughs) (laughs) she's a quirky's like she she really is i mean ever since we met you know, I I love that woman. I think she's great. And please give her a hug for me. All right, I, tell I, everyone where I they sure tell everyone where they can find you on the web and in social media, please. On social media, Facebook is is my preferred uh, preferred method. I'm I'm you know Dana King uh, books. Find me on Facebook, and uh, you like me, or if you want to friend me, I'll be happy to accept your friend request. Uh, my website, which by the way is done by uh, Maddie James at Zuni.com, and they do wonderful work is danakingauthor.com and that will refer you to my blog and has information about all the books and what appearances may come up after the, the quarantines are over and pretty much everything else you might need to know about will be on the website. Okay, my last question, I have a couple last questions before I let you go. Whose book are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading Tim O'Mara's newest book called The Hook. Ah, it's part Tim. of his series. I love Tim. And that, yeah, it, he, it, it, he it's is an excellent a... book. I'm really enjoying it. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met, to be honest yes, with he you. He's, he's really funny. Okay. Um, you had a very unusual job in your aunt's restaurant. What was it? I was the potato peeler. <laughs> my, job was, my job was to stop down after school every day and peel between 150 and 350 pounds of potatoes to pounds? get ready to make french fries all night. Pounds? Pounds, yes. Oh, That's my- how many she used to go through. Oh, my and I, God. And I remember it was Good Friday. I was probably a senior in high school. It was Good Friday. I was home watching television, and I got a phone call from my mother. Get your ass up here. We're running out. And I had to go up there and peel another 100. so months. funny. Now, also, I know that you're a classically trained musician. What do you play or I was a write? A trumpet, I was a trumpet player. Trumpet. Who is your favorite music by... I have very eclectic musical tastes. I mean, for the classical music, the kind of stuff I used to play, I'm, I'm very much into Gustav Mahler. But I'll uh. be honest, the last six months or so, ever since public television did uh, Steve Burns' thing on country yes. music, I've listened to almost nothing but country oh, music. Oh, Ken Burns, yeah, 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 on yeah, country actually, music. Burns, that's right. That's right. I, yeah. I, I actually have to- music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have uh, Tim McGraw's book on Americana music. It's really interesting. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is, um, do you begin your stories, your writing, with a plot, like a scene, or do you begin with a character? Because I write series, and, and both I, I write the PIs and I write the um, I write the Pens, uh, right the Pens Pens the characters are already set. So basically what I'm looking for is an idea where I can best leverage these characters. What, you know, what kind of a situation would Ben Doherty do well in? I, I need to, 
doesn't necessarily have to go well for him, but what kind of things can I write well that he's doing? And the same thing with Nick Forte, my PI. That's why there hasn't been a Forte book for a while, is it, it's a little harder to find situations for the PI was, was for the cops. Things are happening to cops every day. I can always find an idea for that. But Forte is a little harder, but that's what it is. I'm looking for an idea that will fit both my location and the cast of characters I have. And frankly, it has to be something I can write well. Um, somebody, uh, my wife actually came up a few weeks ago with an idea for what would be a really good story. It's kind of a um, suburban psychological thriller, kind of a Laura Lippman type of story. And wow. I told her, I said, you know, I said, that'd be, that's a great idea for a story. I can't write it though. Right. That's not the kind of thing no. I do well. It, has, it, it wouldn't be in my wheel. It would sound forced. I understand that. Dana King, I hope I've made it up to you. And I hope you'll <laughs> come back again. Maybe you'll come back and choose someone to interview and be my guest host. Sure. Who would yeah, you like to that. interview? Uh, let me ponder that. Ponder that and call me and let me know. Okay. Okay. You get to choose whoever you want, you know, ponder it and let me know. And please come back and please give Corky a hug for me and tell her I said thank you ahead of time. Okay. Thanks very much, Pam. I, um, uh, listeners and readers, this is Dana King. The new book, which is fabulous, is called Pushing Water from Down and Out Books. And please go and get that and then write a review, even if you say, I thought that was pretty good and I liked it. That's all you have to say on a review. It means a lot to a writer. Yes, it does. Stay safe, stay safe, my friend, and you and I will talk, okay? You too, Pam. Thanks very much. Thank you. And thank you, listeners and readers, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.